I feel like all the products, all the apps, everything is marketing itself as good for your mental health. Like the coloring apps, <laughs> right. matching games. I'm like, this game is against a timer. How is this relaxing and good for mental health? <laughs> all it's doing is raising my anxiety. <laughs> well, since the pandemic started in 2020, it seems like there's been a huge ramp up in things that are associated with improving your mental health. It's just like how things say all natural. Like what are the qualifications for this? Right. Organic. Mm-hmm. That ain't organic. They spelled organic with a K. <laughs> well, it's Mental Health Awareness Month, and I think we should get to the bottom of it. I'm TT. And I'm Zakia. And from Spotify, this is Dope Labs. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Accenture overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Dope Labs, a weekly podcast that mixes hardcore science, pop culture, and a healthy dose of friendship. May is National Mental Health Awareness Month, and we have never shied away from talking about mental health on Dope Labs. We've talked about harnessing the power of our anxiety in Lab 38, So Anxious with Dr. Wendy Suzuki. And in Lab 32, Life Avalanche, we talked about the danger of burnout with Dr. Ann Helen Peterson. This week, we're talking about art therapy. Specifically, we really wanted to know more about the process that takes place between the therapist and the patient and what's happening inside our brains when we engage with art and how we can harness the tools of art for healing. So let's get into the recitation. Okay, so what do we know? Well, I think we know already that mental health is important. We just had an episode recently talking about the connection between the mind and the body. And we also know that therapy is a really helpful tool for a lot of people. Absolutely. And then I think also we know our surroundings, our environment can affect our mood and our emotional state, you know? So not just Am I in a place that smells good? Am I in a place that looks good? Am I in a place that makes me feel calm? We have multiple inputs for our state of being. Mm -hmm. So things we see, like art, mm -hmm. can affect how we feel. Absolutely. Okay, so what do we want to know? I think when we start to consider art therapy, yes, I understand in the literal sense, it's a combination of art and therapy, but how exactly is it working? Right. And then when we figure out how it works, I want to know, who it's most helpful for? Is it people who are more artistically inclined mm. that art therapy will help? Or is it everybody 
no matter what, at any art level, you can use art as therapy? That's a good question. And then also, if you are using art as therapy, what is happening in your brain, mm. right? I want to know how it's working. What part of the brain is activated? You My know? friend always <laughs> wants to know that biology. That's a very good question. And so me, I want to know if the type of art you're engaging with have different effects. Like, does painting do something different for you than pottery would? You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, you talked about my biology, but it feels like you're going into materials, material science. I'm like, (laughs) yes, those nice, smooth pastels. Mm, That seems very calming. And I think it would be great to define the parameters of art therapy because I see a lot of things getting swept under that broad term. Mm -hmm. So like those apps where you paint by number, is that art therapy? Like those coloring books? That's a very good question. I think we're ready to jump into the dissection. Our guest for today's lab is Professor Juliet King. I'm Juliet King. I'm an associate professor of art therapy at the George Washington University. And I'm an adjunct associate professor of neurology at the Indiana University School of Medicine. Professor King is pursuing a PhD in translational health sciences. Her research is focused on using neuroscience and art therapy to treat psychological trauma. She also wrote a book on these issues. It's called Art Therapy, Trauma, and Neuroscience, Theoretical and Practical Perspectives. Okay, so before we dive into art therapy specifically, we want to be clear. Art therapy is one of many different kinds of therapeutic practices out there. Right. When it comes to therapy, there's no one-size-fits-all approach. What works for you may not work for me and vice versa. So let's jump in to figure out exactly what art therapy is. I love to answer this question by defining what I say is a continuum. And so on one end of the continuum, we might call therapeutic arts, where a cellist is playing on a cancer unit and hearing the music might help people feel better, more calm. Or if you're walking down the halls of the school and the walls are gray and cinder block, as opposed to painted by an artist in residence with colors and mood then you're going to feel differently walking down those halls. So Professor King is saying that art is inherently therapeutic. And that makes sense to me. You know, we love. Oh, yes. The arts. Yes. Me and my friend, we love to walk through a museum together. They're usually really quiet. So it's a really good time to just, you know, sit down, look at really beautiful art. We went to MIA, the Minneapolis Institute of Art. So when we travel, we try to find museums around us. That's so true. And it got us in the right mood for that show. Yes. And I also feel like even when you see other art, it can stimulate your Mm -hmm. own creativity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So on one side of the continuum, we have therapeutic arts. And on the other end, we have art therapy. And just because something is therapeutic doesn't make it therapy. There's a difference. Art therapists have specific training in how they provide clinical support. Art therapists are trained as talk therapists, like psychologists or counselors. And also we carry this extra toolbox around where we use different art materials and methods to help a person express themselves, connect uh, mind-body states, understand a little bit more about themselves that they might not have direct conscious access to. So art therapists use the tools of art making in addition to more traditional talk therapy techniques. But how exactly do these tools help us connect better to ourselves? 
Juliet says that communicating through art is nothing new. In fact, we've been doing this since the beginning of time. Art is everywhere, and it's a critical part of being human. And Professor King says that our survival is somewhat dependent on our capacity to be creative, to, you know, look at things from different perspectives. We have an innate pool to express ourselves. Think back to the cave paintings, right? Where pictures were drawn to let the world know what it was that people were experiencing at the time. Art and art making have existed in various forms across cultures throughout our history. Art shows up in religion, record keeping, protest, storytelling. It truly is everywhere. And when you put it that way, it makes a lot of sense that combining the tools of art with therapy would be very powerful, especially now that we know that art is inherently therapeutic and people are inherently drawn to making art. So can everyone do art therapy? Right. Who is the ideal person? Because I can't draw. Everybody has the capacity to engage in the arts. You know, my specialty is in visual art therapy, but there are many different kinds of expressive therapies and expressive arts. There's dance, there's music, there's drama, there's writing, there's poetry, there's play. So all of these forms of expressive abilities are inherent in all of us. Remember that time when we were in grad school and we... We were at your house, Mm -hmm. per (laughs) use, and your mom was there, and we were line dancing with her in your living room. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. That was very therapeutic for me. So I could definitely see how dance can be therapeutic because I was sweating. Your mom didn't break a sweat. I was sweating through my clothes. (laughs) Had such a good time. And in fact, these capacities are really healthy and important for us, especially in times where we deal with such stress, isolation, trauma. Professor King told us that anyone who's seeking therapy can try art therapy and you don't need to have any artistic skills at all. That's perfect for me. A lot of people think that they're not creative, so they don't want to draw, or I can't draw, I draw stick figures, you know? And that's very common. And one of the fun things about it sometimes is that you learn new things about yourself and new talents that you have that you may not have realized before. There are a lot of reasons to go to therapy, whether it's processing or healing from a specific experience, or if it's even part of just maintaining your overall mental health. Like Professor King mentioned earlier, it's important to remember that our therapy takes place within the therapeutic context and therapeutic relationship between the patient and therapist. The work of psychotherapy takes place between the therapist and the client, and there's a triangular relationship with art therapy in that the art-making process and what the person makes is really a central part of that. So we can understand that within the relationship with the therapist, we have the capacities to rebuild fractured attachment patterns. We have the capacity to facilitate emotional regulation. A lot of times the people that we see in the clinical context are dysregulated. Hey, now, pandemic, everybody's dysregulated. That makes a lot of sense. Yes, a pandemic is not normal. (laughs) I know it has become our new normal, but it is not normal. So we are all experiencing this collective dysregulation. 
And in previous labs, we've learned how dysregulation can lead to the body's automatic stress response because mm -hmm. of the uncertainty and anxiety. Right, right. That's such a good point. And so that brings us right to the brain. Yes. And you know, I want to know more about what's happening in our brains when we practice art therapy. Well, for starters, Juliet says it's not happening in just one place. There's not one targeted area that we would correlate with art therapy, but we would correlate artistic activity and creative activity with whole brain engagement. The more we learn about the brain is that we are a system of functional hubs and networks. Very little is connected to a specific biological or physiological or anatomical function in the brain. Our brain operates in relation to itself. This rests on the molecular, biological understanding of neuroplasticity. And really, it goes back to the neuron. Neurons that fire together, wire together. The capacity for neuroplasticity is what allows our brains to change and form different pathways throughout the entire lifespan, which is really exciting. Neuroplasticity means our brains have the capacity to rewire themselves and form new connections in response to new information, sensory stimuli, and following an injury. This is what's happening in your brain when you're learning. And so this potential to change is exciting because you don't have to be stuck in your ways. And if mm. there's something you want to do differently, your brain has the capability to do it differently. Now, it might be a little bit harder, mm. but once you start walking on that path, you just beat it down and it becomes an easier. You're no longer hiking through rough terrain, right? That's what neuroplasticity is. You begin to make a smoother mm. path for yourself and eventually it's paved. I love this analogy. It's a word. So when we're little, those neuroplastic capacities are much greater than when we're 95. However, what we know about the brain is that the capacities for neuroplasticity span the entire developmental continuum. And what we also know about neuroplasticity is the more input we have from sensory, motor, visual systems, right, then the more capacities we have to change and grow. So if more sensory input means more capacity to grow and change, then art is giving you more input with more opportunity to change how we regulate or do things, it seems like. I love that. With that in mind, it feels like with art, the possibilities are endless. Yeah. The capacity to change and grow is so important because it allows our brains to learn new things and make changes moving forward. And making changes in our behavior and thought patterns is essential to healing and often a really big part of therapy. Absolutely, TT. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about how art therapy can help us find balance during times of stress, the importance of nonverbal communication, and how different mediums can be used for healing. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist recommended facial moisturizer brand. Oh, oh. 
We're back and we've been talking with Professor Juliet King about art therapy, what parts of the brain are stimulated, and who exactly is art therapy made for? It's everybody. But before we jump back in, let's talk about what we're going to be focusing on in next week's lab. In next week's lab, we're talking all about games. And strangely, we somehow come around to the meaning of life. We also talk about gamification. And TT, you tell us about one of your recent new favorite games, too. Yes. So check it out to make sure you hear about all that tea. Let's get back to the lab. We've been talking about how art therapy can help with emotional regulation and finding a balance throughout times of stress. How do we understand how to use our art process and products and ourselves and that relationship to help with emotional regulation and regaining homeostasis? Our bodies are constantly striving for balance, which is essentially what homeostasis is. Stress disrupts balance and can lead to dysregulation, like we've been talking about where it's difficult to make decisions because our bodies are stuck in a stress response. And we've talked about this stress response in Mm -hmm. some earlier episodes. So fight and flight and freeze. Mm -hmm. And before we can understand how to move towards homeostasis, we need to unpack how our bodies experience, process, and store trauma. The nature, traumatic experiences, the nature of disease and distress, the nature of stress is such that our systems engage in an upheaval, a disruption of homeostasis. Things become out of balance. But what we know from science and using contemporary neuroimaging, such as EEG, which measures brain waves or functional MRI, which actually is looking at the structures and functions in the brain, is that when we experience stress, adversity, trauma, then our memory, the way that we process that memory, it gets stored implicitly, meaning it gets stored at a less conscious level, meaning that it gets stored in our body. And when memories are stored in our body, we don't have conscious access to that. And we also don't have verbal access. You know, I was reading some really interesting things about how folks think about memories. Mm. It's said that a lot of times we consider memories to be these intact accounts of what happens and that they get buried. But that's not actually how they work. Mm. There are restructuring or retelling to preserve self, right? Mm. And so sometimes we just don't remember things or we have buried things because we don't want to think about them a lot. Mm And we may not be able to actually recover a full memory, mm-hmm. but we may be able to process through some of the feelings we had. It's really a complicated thing considering a traumatic event, mm-hmm. how you cope around that trauma, if you're even able to cope, right? Mm-hmm. And then what some of the effects of those coping mechanisms are. So you may have high anxiety for a long time, which mm-hmm. we know means you may have different hormonal levels. You may have different effects of long-term stress physically manifesting from a psychological event. And so what ends up happening also is in the recall or re-experiencing of a trauma, the talking centers of the brain aren't working as actively. And so we see from neuroimaging capacities how different parts of the brain aren't operating as fluidly as they might. And so that too is going to hinder a person's ability to construct a story, to tell their memory, to put together a narrative. That's really amazing. So The nature of trauma is that sometimes we literally can't even talk about it. That's really tough. Yeah. 
And that also gets in the way of this really important part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. And that's the part of the brain behind our eyes. That's how we live our life, our organization, our executive functions. Well, when we're experiencing traumatic events, when we're experiencing emotional upheaval, then the capacities for our prefrontal cortex to process information, to process emotions, that also gets stymied. And that's something we talked about in the So Anxious episode, Lab 38, Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. Dr. Wendy Suzuki. Now that we know that trauma is stored in the body, something like art therapy makes a lot of sense. Someone might not be able to use words to talk about or process their experience, and that could make healing really difficult. This makes me think about what Professor King said earlier, about how art therapy can help people express and understand themselves without having conscious access or verbal access to whatever they're working through in that therapy. Now we live in a verbal society. We live in a society that's saying, forget the unconscious, whatever, let's just stay focused. Okay, so exhibit A, social media, podcast, not this one though. Keep listening to Dope Labs. Everybody is talking about something and talking is a primary way of processing our subconscious and the primary mode of communication and talk therapy. But a lot of times talking just doesn't cut it. We need other methods to help a person feel safe enough to understand their situation enough in order to be able to engage. Art therapy inherently allows for emotional regulation. Professor King told us about the importance of nonverbal communication. There's so much we say without using words, which is why I know you give me a hard time for it, but it's why hands down, 10 times out of 10, sometimes 11, I'm choosing FaceTime for an important conversation. (laughs) That is very true. I know if I hear that FaceTime tone, I know it's Zakia. (laughs) I just know. (laughs) If I can hear it coming through my computer, I'm like, yes, that's my friend. (laughs) But I think that's because so much of how I communicate, even though I'm saying a lot of words, Mm, You do not want these text messages unless you really know me and can decide how these things are going, you know? (laughs) I totally understand. I understand. We use nonverbal communication all the time. That's how we come out of the womb. When we're born, we experience the entire world through our senses. So that really forms a strong foundation for how engagement in sensory, motor, visual, tactile, movement, engaging in these sensory experiences is innately part of who we are and innately part of how we need to express ourselves. And so this evidence points to the value of the nonverbal sensory therapies in treatment and in fact emphasizes the expressive therapies not only as an important treatment but as crucial when it is that we're dealing with a lot of the mental health and wellness issues that we deal with today. When you look back at it, and I think about the things that we've learned in a lot of our episodes, exploring the brain and unpacking and understanding Mm -hmm. development, Mm -hmm. even in that book that I recommended, and Titi, I know you read it, Good Morning Monster. Oh my gosh, yes. And (laughs) Oprah's book, What Happened to You. Right. All of these things make me think about being an infant is really traumatizing. You have no way to express yourself. You're trying to make sense of all these things around us. Mm -hmm. And really, our brains don't remember that. No. I would imagine being birthed into this new world with all these like very foreign things. It's like being dropped on another planet with aliens. Yes. And then all of a sudden people are like, all right, develop here. Eat this. Drink this. I'm going to carry you here. I'm going to put you down there. That's scary. 
Sometimes I think about my dog Daisy like that. Daisy must be like, she's barking. You know, <laughs> you're trying to say things. You're trying to express yourself. Think about how right. much babies babble and make mm-hmm. noises. But mm-hmm. they're trying to learn, okay, how can I tell this person? There's poop mm-hmm. on my backside. Help. Right? right. Like, Or they'll be I'm moving in one direction. And then all of a sudden they're airborne. And they're like, wow, I'm flying. Because somebody picks them oh. up and then moves them somewhere <laughs> else. And they're like, they're on a mission to do something. They're like, oh, I would like to touch that thing. And they start moving. And all of a sudden... They're being lifted by a crane. Imagine, they don't know what's going on. Imagine you you walking down the street to the corner store and a crane picks you up and drops you in another state. It's a lot of information to take in. For some people, art may not be the magic key, right? Right. You may have to add something else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've been seeing the adoption of a lot of different things that, to me... I would say, oh, non-traditional, but they may be rooted in something that I didn't know about before. Like, remember when people were doing yoga with goats? Yeah, and the goats were jumping on their backs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But now what we see is animal-assisted therapy. So, like, emotional support animals. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, were those two things connected? Mm-hmm. Does one come out of the other? Right. And, I mean, even when you think about just yoga, mm-hmm. there was a time where yoga was very new in Western culture and folks were very confused by it. And now, you know, there's a yoga studio on every corner. Yep. There's a whole history of that. And I think what we're seeing is that those types of practices were being discredited in favor of a much more medical approach to things, which is something that we talked about in our last two labs about maternal health when we talked about overall wellness and sometimes just needing a more holistic approach. And now we're seeing a shift right back to those same things that have been working for societies and cultures for many, many moons. <laughs> Did you ever see that video of that older woman, really old, and she's in like the hospital or something like that and they play Swan Lake or something like that and she starts moving. Mm-hmm. That's what all this reminds me of. I'm like, yes, a woman that is practically immobile, but when she hears certain music played, it triggers something in her mind that recalls, you know, her time as a prima ballerina. Mm-hmm. We've seen music therapy as a great tool. And I think people see it being used in classrooms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've seen it for a lot of older adults, especially when you start considering, you know, the effects of memory loss. Mm -hmm. One of my middle school science teachers, shout out to Miss Perico. Every time we had a test, she would play Beethoven because she was like, it makes you smarter. I don't know if that's true, but it was very relaxing. And it did like kind of set the tone for every single test that we took in her class where it just made you feel calm, It kind of like just flipped a switch in your brain where it was like, okay, I know the sound. It's time to take a test. It's time to focus. Mm. So some of that is like music cues. Mm -hmm. And just like there are different types of therapy, within art therapy, there are different types of mediums. Mm -hmm. We asked Professor King how different mediums can affect us differently if we're using art therapy. So one of the guiding theories of art therapy, what I like to call our primary way of knowing, is that media, meaning art materials, have different properties. So watercolors have different properties that clay does, that pastels do. And so the theories go, which have become quite advanced over the years, and to look at 
parallels between different media properties and how these properties evoke different levels of expression, all of which exists on what we could call a hierarchical or a developmental continuum. We call that the expressive therapies continuum. And we use this somewhat naturally and innately through our training to understand how to develop interventions with specific art materials to affect or to address whatever goal it is that we're working on. A simple example would be using watercolors is likely going to evoke more of a sensory experience, more of an opening up than building something with tools and wood, right? That's going to evoke more of a cognitive, higher level of thinking. That's really interesting. And so my next question is, do art therapists see a difference from person to person? Does everyone respond to the same mediums in the same way? So watercolors may open a person up, like Professor King said, but maybe not necessarily for another person. Therapy is subjective. I think a really great example is thinking about those coloring books, which, P.S., are not art therapy. But some people feel really calm when they color those intricate designs. Other people feel like, whoa, and they feel insecure. They feel overwhelmed. It raises anxiety or like sends them into an obsessive state. Professor King told us that art therapists are really careful when using different mediums with patients. If we're not careful, opening a person up too much can lead to emotional flooding. A person can get overwhelmed or overstimulated. There's actually an ethical responsibility that art therapists and psychotherapists all have. And if they're not trained, then they might not realize how the different materials could open a person up too much without knowing how to help that person regain a sense of control. And that's very important and speaks to the capacities of the trained psychotherapist to know when to tap into, when to kind of push boundaries, when to foster self-expression, as opposed to helping a person maybe regulate calm down and be able to engage in the process. One thing that works for one may not work with another and really bridges and points back to the importance of that relationship, the assessment procedures, the goals in treatment, getting to know who it is that you're working with, which is the driver to any kind of psychotherapeutic support. You know, I was a little surprised to find out that those coloring books are not therapy because, you know, between coloring things that are already drawn, drawing my own doodles, doing puzzles, Mm -hmm. all those things feel very calming for me. Yeah. So they're therapeutic, but not therapy in the sense that you're working with a therapist. So for you, puzzles are therapeutic, but for me, they raise my heart rate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm not doing puzzles. But that makes me think, and we want to know from you all, what types of things that are considered art do you interact with that make you feel calm, that are therapeutic for you? If you look in the Spotify app right now, there's a poll and you can choose which of the forms of art you use to de-stress. Where do you find an art therapist? It's already expensive when we talk about just having talk therapy. Come on. I've looked at a couple of different places. They're saying like individual sessions or, you know, in a therapeutic hour, which is like 50 to 55 minutes. And I see costs from $100 to $200 for each session. Mm, That's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I mean, because imagine you're doing it weekly. Yeah. You multiply that by four. 
And then multiply that by 12. The numbers are up. That's a lot of money. And that goes right back into the insurance conversation we had in last week's lab. Yes, about maternal health care. That also has an effect on access. Mm -hmm. Who can access these things? Yeah, because art therapy may be something that can really help you sort through a lot of things. But if you can't afford it, then it's just not a resource that you can tap into. So then what happens? What happens to you and your your development, your mental health development? Mm. So similar to the talk therapy, an art therapist can be wherever a talk therapist is. Art therapists work in many different contexts. On the individual level, at the group level, art therapists can work with couples and family therapy. Art therapists can be seen in private practice, in outpatient treatment, on inpatient facilities. If you or someone you know is experiencing mental health symptoms, the best thing you can do is talk to a doctor who can work with you to come up with a plan that is right for you. You can also find resources for mental health support at spotify.com slash resources. Okay, it's time for the one thing. My one thing this week is an artist and I find her art very therapeutic. <laughs> it's very calming. And I sent it to one of my sisters and she did not get it. She was like, what is wrong with you? And it's actually fiber art. So it's these moving stop motion felt and wool. And she creates these mini movies where she bakes a cake or she'll make breakfast. And it is just so detailed. And the sounds are just so rich and nice. I can watch those videos for hours. You can find her on Instagram. Her Instagram name is Andrea Animates. What about you, Z? What's your one thing? There's an artist, a visual artist, whose work I found on Instagram, and I just love it. It has a calming effect. It has elements that feel like biological in nature. So mm-hmm. some things look like plants. Some things look like if you were using TEM or SEM to look at small mm-hmm. biological structures, mm-hmm. I feel like I can see those types of patterns in the art. Uh-huh. Her name is Linda Cato, and her art is amazing. And it has like a calming effect for me. That's it for Lab 64. Have you rethought your relationship with art? I know I rethought mine throughout this entire lab. Call us at 202-567-7028 and tell us what you thought. Or give us an idea for a lab you think we should do this semester. We really love hearing from you. That's 202-567-7028. And don't forget that there is so much more to dig into on our website. There'll be a cheat sheet for today's lab, additional links and resources in the show notes, Plus, you can sign up for our newsletter. Check it out at dopelabspodcast.com. Special thanks to today's guest expert, Professor Juliet King. You can find or follow her on Twitter at Tertiary Process and read more of her work in her book, Art Therapy, Trauma, and Neuroscience, Theoretical and Practical Perspectives. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dope Labs Podcast. TT's on Twitter and Instagram at dr underscore tsho. And you can find Zakia at Z said so. Dope Labs is a Spotify original production from Megaome Media Group. Our producers are Jenny Radlett Mass and Lydia Smith of Wave Runner Studios. Our associate producer from Megaome Media is Brianna Garrett. Editing and sound design by Rob Smirciak. Mixing by Hannes Brown. Original music composed and produced by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Sugiura. 
From Spotify, executive producer Corinne Gilliard and creative producer Miguel Contreras. Special thanks to Shirley Ramos, Jess Borison, Yasmin Afifi, Kamu Elolia, Till Kratke, and Brian Marquis. Executive producers from Mega O Media Group are us, Titi Shodia and Zakia Watley. Oh, man. <laughs> Talk about art. Have y'all ever heard TC sing? Oh. <laughs> you don't want to hear me sing. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, <laughs> mm, it's special to me.